I wanted to publicly take an action to promote deeper discussion about our climate emergency, so I recorded 100 amazing conversations. I picked out some of the really interesting and provocative parts, and I'm sharing them with you. In this episode, we're talking about activism, about people who are compelled to break the law, about staying centred, about faith. It feels a bit deeper than some of the previous episodes, so if you haven't listened and aren't ready for that, please do listen back to some of the previous episodes about food and travel, power, plastic, for example. My wish is that these thoughts will all be listened to with openness and generosity. So, a couple of my climates are quite confident engaging with the political system. Let's warm up by listening to them. I think the bottom line is just always, what can you be doing to involve yourself politically? Yeah. Everything you do is political. That's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm a huge believer in writing to your MP and... um, you know, politically protesting when you can and encouraging others to do so um, because, I mean, they these people, like, the, that's the thing is, like, I think there's so much fear about approaching politicians or approaching, you know, quote, the people in charge. But in reality, like, they all work for you. <laughs> um, if you don't give your money to them or if you don't elect them, they, they don't have their roles. So your politicians work for you and, and the people who are putting planet before profit are doing so because people are giving them money. So once you think about, you know, even where you're putting your money or where you're putting your vote, you have massive ramifications on the planet. Um, it's totally fair for politics as a, as a word, as a term, or politicians uh, to feel intimidating because I think that's, the image that so many people have is that they are intimidating and as you said like suited and booed but actually as soon as you reach out to them and point out why they should be caring most of the time they will be like no totally this is really bad and they will do what they can um one of my uh, new year's resolutions this year was to because uh, i've been a member of the green party for about four years now um, to actually do more with it i mean i've done a bit of flyering for them and such and I'm doing a bit of flowering this month, actually, but uh, to actually be involved, go to a few more meetings. Um, I've attended a Green Party branch meeting for Edinburgh. It's the first one I've been to in ages. How'd it go? That's uh, very good. Uh, they had a couple of experts in, one talking about modern monetary theory, which is a macroeconomic theory of how to change the system of um, taxation. Very exciting. And the other one was about... Um, uh, universal basic income and how it could uh, solve a lot of problems with universal credit and benefits and such and make society more caring and less stigmatised. What do you think? Oh yeah, I think modern monetary theory is a bit too extreme to be adopted anytime soon. I think universal basic income has uh, proposals for it amongst all political parties. Um, and I think it's a genuinely good idea. There's trials happening in Fife Council and Glasgow Council and Finland and parts of Canada. Oh, yeah? So, it's a great idea. You basically take away all benefits to people that are judged according to their circumstantial benefits, and then you give every single person that lives in the country a set amount of money, partly to compensate from the roboticization of many jobs, and partly to replace the stigma of having to be assessed as worthy for a benefit. And then everyone's got a baseline of money, however much that might be, they can get them through. Um, But if they choose to work, they can choose to work as well. So it's not going to make anyone rich, but it's going to take people out of poverty. 
That's interesting. Yeah. As someone at the meeting pointed out, there were a bunch of very clever people there. Someone pointed out um, the universal child uh, benefit is um, already a system of that. If you've got a child, you get child benefit. It's not assessed on any other criteria. And that's not been controversial. So why should this? Are you a member of the Green Party? No. Should I be? No. Well, I don't know. Look into it. Um, I always vote manifest. for them. Yeah, but the more uh, members they have, the more voice they have. Yeah. I'll send you a link and you can have a look into it. It's um, yeah, it's quite comprehensive and there's lots of resources and stuff. And... There's an awful lot of people are, are fed up with politics, but politics is, is what gets things done. And the guy with the checkbook can sign the check for two new aircraft carriers, or 10 new hospitals, or 20 new schools, or whatever it is. You know, they can, they choose where the money goes, and we have to put the pressure on them. So that's where it has to be. You have to talk to the government, and you have to get, you have to vote people in who want to change the agenda, and then you've got to hold their feet to the fire and make them change the agenda. Several of the people that I spoke to have been involved with Extinction Rebellion. Sometimes they refer to it as XR. XR is a global environmental movement who are non-violent, but are using civil disobedience to try and compel the government to take urgent action on the climate crisis. They were only established in May 2018. In April 2019, there was an uprising in London. For my my master's, I, um, I, was, I was doing an environmental politics class, and actually the year before that as well, as part of it, I did a, a course called um, The Politics of Unsustainability, which was amazing. It was such a good course, but oh my goodness. So I read quite a lot of the climate science and the papers around it. So not just the politics, but the, you know, the straight up science and then the IPCC report. And then I read of the, of the papers and the science that fed into the IPCC report and realised that the IPCC report was an incredibly um, light version, shall we say, of predicted, you know, consequences, and it, oh, it put me in such a tailspin, I, um, it's like, and then I was kind of like, right, well, I can either just stay in bed for the rest of my life, or I can, um, and, and that, like, at that moment, it was really fortuitous, I came across that, and now quite famous, there's a talk called, by Extinction Rebellion, called, um, uh, heading for extinction and what to do about it, and it's kind of like their their sort of um, call to arms talk, if you like. It's their talk. It's different information, and then why extinction rebellion exists and blah blah. So I stumbled across that online and watched it, and it was it was really wonderful actually because there's a first organization that I encountered or anything that I'd read that had talked about like embracing the grief of it. Because it, it, like it's such a like because I read a lot of the science, but I was like, what do I do with this? It's like, what? I can't stop that. You know, I can't do anything. So it was really great to like they kind of lead you through a bit of a like a, a grieving process, and then they say, and now to action. Like now, you know, use that and move on, and and you know, and their sort of their their sign off all the time is like love and rage, you know, and the fact that those things are completely entwined that you can yeah have rage, but from a place of love. But at some point, you really feel like you're doing all these things and you're like, okay, but it's just me. So I'm alone doing this. And it's not, it's not being useful, really. So when I, when I finally found XR, I was like, okay, this is a group of like-minded people and they're trying and they're actually trying to target the system, which is the main problem because there's really so much you can do as an individual. Like you can ditch all single-use plastic. You can never eat meat again in your life. But if the system is toxic then it's not going to be useful so you, i think you really need to come together with other people and and try and change the, the whole system to you know create a sort of um a sort of economy a sort of system that is not based on infinite consumption even like their aesthetic you know they've been really really clever with you know getting together with amazing artists and having this incredible aesthetic which which I think is really important. It kind of like, 
you know it attracts people and focuses the mind and then and then yes you need the arts in there they have they it's such a coexistence we need it all yeah <laughs> and when i went to london in april i was so nervous because i didn't really i hadn't i didn't really go knowing very many people i hadn't been joined part of a, like a group or anything i just decided to just go and so I was quite nervous because I was like, what if there's like n- nobody turns up or there's like 50 of us or something? And then I like found my way to Piccadilly Circus, which was the sort of southwest of Bristol, so hub if you like. And then there's a giant pink boat in the middle of it and just thousands of people everywhere. And it was, oh, it was amazing. It was so like, it, it was so powerful. It felt really, really good. It felt like there are so many people who care and then and the amount of passers-by as well who stopped and you know the first thing you do is that's flyers be like i'm really sorry if we've you know inconvenienced you do you know why we're here and blah 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 and every single one of them who and they were all really different people who i spoke to were like oh we get it we know why you're doing this and like at the end of several conversations, people were giving us hugs and saying thank you, and like, I'm like, I don't care if I'm late for my business meeting. We're just pleased that people are doing this. So, obviously, there are some people who aren't behind it at all, but I would say most people care. It felt amazing to take over that space in London on a really kind of local, practical level. These were parts of London that are usually choked with traffic. And there, there was birdsong, and there were green plants on Waterloo Bridge, and there were people singing and dancing in Oxford Circus, and there was somebody built a compost loo out of scrap wood in the middle of Bayswater Road. Really? And, you know, just really, really reclaiming the streets in a way that I've never seen. Um, and I think for me, the with all, always with these things, for me, the most affecting thing is the strengthening effect that you get from so many people who care enough to do something like that. People who'd taken time off work, people who were staying out overnight to hold the roadblocks, and you know, people who really understand it and care and prepare to put themselves out for that. And you know they are just a small percentage of the people who care who couldn't make it for whatever reason and to turn up on the first day and there were just thousands and thousands of people and I was in Parliament Square initially and I was I'm on a little WhatsApp group of people um who are quite interested in this kind of stuff and the like a WhatsApp message came in from somebody who's like we've taken Waterloo Bridge and then another one came in from somebody who's like we've taken Marble Arch and it did, it was just really exciting but you know that was that was the first day, and there was this kind of question of how long can they sustain this? Really, like people are going to get bored or have to go back to work, or so then for days and days and days, and these waves and waves of people who were being arrested, and you know, I spoke to a friend who had just heard about it on the radio, and she said, "Oh, I, I heard they'd been like at that point, I think about six hundred people arrested," and she, her impression had been, "All oh, these people are probably rioting and." And I was like, no, these are people who are just sitting in the road. You know, the police come up, they ask them to move, they say they're not going to move, and they're arrested. Like, it's the most peaceful, kind of jovial sort of arresting I've ever seen. Like, the police were really warm to what people were trying to do, and it was all very respectful, and it's a really strange situation to be in, and to have these waves and waves of people, and at one point, there were older people who were sitting down in front of younger people so that they'd get arrested first because they felt it would have less effect on their future. So in April, I was uh, on Waterloo Bridge while yeah. it was being occupied. It was uh, you know, a life-changing experience. And you hear people talk about life-changing experiences and think, oh, yeah, but I work for that. I mean, for me, that is definitely something I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. And we had... Uh, a line of people sat at the front of the bridge coming off to Waterloo, uh, which was called the Heart Line, where people just sat down and waited to be arrested. And then behind them, we had like a kitchen, we had the stage, we had the skateboard ramp, we had like kids uh, having storytelling sessions and stuff like that. Those people weren't very interested in being arrested, they were interested in supporting the people who were being arrested. 
and through talking to the police, we help to create that uh, that distinction. That was Jim, who was a police liaison for XR in April. In June, he was arrested as part of an Extinction Rebellion action in Edinburgh. It felt like the right thing to do. And I wasn't anxious at all until I walked out of the briefing to the roadblock that we were going to hold. And uh, then I was extremely anxious and uh, kind of managed to disguise my anxiety by walking quickly and not speaking to my local partner. Uh, we locked on on Lothian Road in Edinburgh because the Scottish government would not commit to uh, carbon neutrality by 2025. They decided to go for carbon neutrality by 2045, which as far as Extinction Rebellion is concerned, as far as I'm concerned, is tantamount to eco-size. By eco-size, I mean immense environmental destruction, uh, destruction of the living world, destruction of places that you know, we all live in, and that will be, that will affect the poorest people, the worst, that is uh, going to hit the, young, the youngest of us the hardest, that is an unfair legacy to pass on to future generations. Uh, and so, you know, in the face of this sort of insanity, I thought the only sane thing to do would be to go lie down in the road. <laughs> and after after I got to Lothian Road, and after I got on the floor with this big metal tube on my arm, I started to feel a little better about myself and about the world. So it helps in that way. Uh, we didn't get the Scottish government to commit to 2045. But it's not, it's not necessarily about linear achievements. It's about making a stand and hoping that stand can help inspire others. You never know mm. who's watching and who else is thinking, I wish someone would do something, and then they see somebody do something, and then it becomes much easier for them to consider doing something. It's what happened to me. And I you know, came out of vans. Look, took a look at us for a little while, took out the cutting equipment, um, covered me and Pear, who was my lock-on buddy, blanket they held to block us, block off the sparks, gave us helmets with ear pads and stuff, and cut through this pipe that I had attached myself to a central bolt in the middle of it, and then they detached me. Uh, they asked me if I had anything to say. I can't remember the exact words I said, but I... I said something like a, I think, quite a punchy statement about my motivations for doing it, uh, which then gets read out in court and becomes part of the evidence. I was quite happy about that. And I was thinking about going floppy before I was arrested. And then they kind of like, I didn't really have the strength. Like, I don't know if I didn't have the strength to stand. I just didn't have the, the will to stand or something. But like, they picked me up and walked me to the van and I put up a little fist <laughs> I don't know why I don't know why people put up little, little fists on when they're being activists and being political but I, I did it <laughs> <laughs> like a sign of determination or something like that uh-huh. sign of resolve and uh, just very light-headed and giddy until they got me into the back of the van and I was with about seven other people who had just been arrested and I was like oh guys how was that and then it was just non-stop banter until about 11 o'clock at night when we all went to sleep. You, you get to know people, or at least you, you get to feel very close to people pretty quickly because you're putting yourself into extreme situations with them. You don't reveal to absolutely everybody else, but you meet these kindred spirits and it all pours out. So what are the ripples of these actions? I had lots of conversations about it with people who were finding their connection to it. My parents have been very involved with XR. My mum has a court case in a few weeks that's oh, quite wow. serious. Um, 
so we're we're as a family we're we're quite kind of embedded in it um so she's quite nervous she's quite nervous about it but then she was reading through her police report she was up on walkley bridge she got arrested i hope she, she won't mind me saying she was there were lots of photos taken um and she uh was quite nervous about it but when she was reading through the all the paperwork we were just in hysterics about the whole thing because of the i mean you know she's 61 <laughs> she's like the most um compassionate and warm and like caring creative person and <laughs> just the the idea of her being threatened with potentially potential imprisonment is so laughable <laughs> But um and it's extraordinary that she's got herself in this place really um and she's doing it from for her grandson who um she feels like the stakes are too high now to not put our our own um ourselves on the line like that. And what do you think of that? It's such an inspiration. I feel so lucky to have have parents who not only get it but are doing so much um and i know that they've been massively influential in that way um i've tried to minimize flying i tried to minimize using my car i've done all that for years but those are easy things anything i can do that's easy i'll do but going to prison i would find very hard. I'm claustrophobic. I couldn't bear to be locked up. I need to be in the fresh air. I would just, I would find it terribly hard. And I hugely admire people who find it hard and still do it, you know, who know they'll find it as hard as I would, but they still do it. I think what Extinction Rebellion have achieved in a few months is more than I've achieved in my entire lifetime. So I really admire them for doing it. Very easy to, you know, to get two people dressed up as polar bears and stand in front of the Shell building and say, you're ruining the planet. Yeah. And then nipping off for a frappuccino latte um, and say, right, well, that stuck it to the man. Oh, oh I really like your new trainers. And oh, where did you get them? Oh, I just got them on on Amazon. You know, there, there's a whole series of of um, conflicts involved in in that. You know, the cynic in me says things such as the uh, "Make Poverty History" and the march against the war uh, when we invaded Iraq, and such things have massive popular appeal on the same scale as um, the protests at the moment, uh, and the 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 anti-Brexit protests as well, and. They didn't work, which is not to say that they were bad. They were very good and they raised awareness, but it wasn't enough. Women's suffrage took longer than getting rid of slavery. It took a very long time. And women still are disadvantaged in many parts of the world. And um, even, you know, in, in perhaps in most parts of the world. But things can change and do change. Um, if there's a, enough people to create a groundswell of opinion that says, look, it becomes easier to do the right thing. Uh, maybe, maybe it's something on individual battles need to be won. What occurs in my head at the moment is Jamie Oliver getting lots of signatures on a petition in, in order to make school meals better, uh, which is a very specific action and able to be... Um, actioned or initiated, uh, whereas stopping global warming or stopping um, habitat loss or extinction of species is a noble cause, but perhaps it's too diaphanous to be able to get behind in a concrete manner. But if we target specific things such as um, UK emissions, including import and export emissions, which aren't included in the, the, the government guidelines, um, to reduce those, or transport, or um, food importations, or whatever. It's almost like it's quite aggressive, the way they're going about it, and the arrests, and um, the way they're sort of actually, sort of, yeah, 
blockading streets and things and and so it's like it it, it, it it's annoying it's, it's irritating some people and they're, they're resenting them because of it um but is it making people think and change the way they do things i'm not sure i'm not sure so i i'm not sure they've got it quite right to be honest with you but that's not well maybe long term i don't think they can keep keep on with this i think there needs to be something like you say that connects with people emotionally in a positive way and makes them want to makes them think that their life will be better for it for doing this you know, from, from making whatever changes you need to make. Well, this um, Extinction Rebellion lot have been doing quite a lot lately in London, particularly. Uh, and when they bring something on the news about that, what the journalist raises and is interested in is the fact that the, man, the, the people are causing people to be late for work or inconveniencing them mm-hmm. or breaking something uh, and the, the pros and cons of that but they don't seem to bring in the fact that the other side of the equation is the entire human population may die and that just seems you know, even on the journalist side is treated in the most ridiculously lightweight way I mean, if there was a big, a giant lever in the street uh, down in Trafalgar Square <laughs> that said, how much are we going to do about climate change? And it was currently, I would say, at about 15%. How, and we all went down there. How many would join in pushing it over to 90% or something? I mean, I think I, I think I dispute maybe that they don't have the solutions. I've seen other people bring that argument, but I think like, we know what the solutions are. Like people have been calling for solutions for ages. Like it's, but Eve, but I also think that like that doesn't really matter. That's kind of not their role necessarily. It's just I think it's fine for them to just raise awareness and then direct people to what the solutions are. Like just point to be like, look, all these scientists have been talking about this for a decade. Like this is what we should do. All these policymakers. Uh, I do think there's something to be said for like the role of unlikely suspects and unlikely spokespeople one person making a change can then make waves in your social circle and like provoke other people to make small changes and all those waves add up and stuff joining extinction rebellion and stuff you know is fantastic but people expect their rhetoric so people who aren't already engaged in climate conversations and changing their life for climate change will just dismiss them whereas if their friends who they never thought of as environmental campaigners suddenly start making these small changes then those people who haven't engaged with those kind of conversations before might think oh, okay well my friend did it and i never and they're not you know a big eco warrior so maybe i can do it yeah and i think that that's quite important we hope that uh, governments uh, do not uh, lead everything on their own we think that it's important to involve citizens and scientists i love that idea no i'm really i really think the citizens assembly is a cool thing i've been hearing a lot more about this idea of a citizens assembly have you got your head around that so not really i've heard the i kind of heard it but um can you explain it or is it yeah so i'm i'm just getting it so like basically a hundred people are picked at random, a bit like jury duty, and you have to come and and really get your head around the issue, debate what it is, and decide on some policy for our country, which then would need to be approved through Parliament, but would give like a real idea of what um the public want. And they did it in Ireland before the anti-abortion laws were um broken down. They did a citizens assembly there. Yeah. Is it totally just a mix of people from different backgrounds? Yeah. Cool. Isn't it? I think that sounds like a. So that's kind of like what I always thought House of Lords should be. Should be that it's like a kind of rotating thing every five years of people who are nominated by um, 
spoke in different industries to sort of represent different industries and they were kind of the stopgap behind government decisions but it wasn't like you couldn't inherit a seat there like it was every five years somebody got nominated to ensure like a breadth of opinions from different industries but actually the citizen assembly sounds like a really mobile the other thing is that when you're in it, apparently, it's not about your personality. So if you have an idea or a question or a thought, you write it down, but somebody else says it out loud, and then it's debated, but it's not attached, it doesn't become attached to you. The idea is the idea, and it's not a, your your idea. Do you know what I mean? It's not like the Hazel Darwin Clements bill. Yeah, there's no ego attached to the idea. I think it's a good idea, but I think there's a limitations to how well it would work. You've, how are you going to decide which scientists or people you're going to bring along to present on things? Is the fact that maybe somebody presents something more interestingly going to win votes as opposed to whether their science is correct? If it is something that is particularly scientific, are people going to understand it or, you know, it's kind of their job as somebody presenting it to make it interesting, make it relevant, make it understandable, make it convincing. But some people are better at that than others. Yeah. And the fact that somebody is convincing doesn't mean that they have the right information. As the summer went on, I was chatting with my climates about the soul searching that they were doing and the plans they were making for pitching the next action meaningfully. What's going to make me feel like I'm doing something worthwhile, but that's also going to not burn me out and hopefully bring me some joy <laughs> at the same time? I'm upset to this idea that you have to somehow make your life better. <laughs> I, I'm quite happy to go and lie down under the bulldozers at Heathrow as long as there's people there that I like that are lying down under the bulldozers too. Like, there's a level of sacrifice I'm prepared to make it some payoff in some way <laughs> so yeah I feel like Heathrow is shaping up to be the defining moment at the moment it's like you've, you've made your big declaration of climate emergency and now you're gonna expand Heathrow way beyond our agreed emissions and those two things are not compatible and there's a whole like masses of people who are frustrated and you know waiting for some kind of action and I think if this if they go ahead with Heathrow it's going to be so symbolic I think for all of those people kind of we this is this is a thing that we cannot let happen it's such a huge carbon emitter so that and I'm I'm quite drawn to activism I had might have had this conversation with you before, but I think there's something, I feel there's something dramatic about it. There's something that feels quite like this is expressing how important and urgent I think this is, and it, it, it's a message not only to the people that you are acting against, but it's a message to your friends and family. Like this is how strongly I feel about this that I'm gonna, you know take six months off work and go and change myself to something like it's quite a statement and I'm a bit wary of that I'm like I feel really drawn to that but I I worry that it's cathartic like it's it's not so much that I believe in my heart that going and doing this thing will be effective it's more I really need to do something and this is a dramatic thing that I can do and I'm a, I'm a bit so I'm a bit wary of it of that that urge to do something and kind of is this the right thing really or is this just a I need an outlet for this kind of pent up frustration and urgency but at the same time I do think that something powerful about active resistance so 
yeah, I go back and forth on it a lot. <laughs> but we'll see. There's, I mean, there's loads of opportunities. There's people camped out at trying to stop HS2, and there's people camped out trying to stop fracking, and, like, there's loads of places that you can go and be part of the active resistance that Heathrow feels like the, the big symbolic crunch. Like, if it goes ahead, that, whatever else the UK does is almost meaningless if you add an extra runway at Heathrow. So I think there'll be a lot of resistance. And that could be fun. <laughs> I was very excited when I found some clown activists. I was like, yes, I'm going to marry all my interests in one and join them. So were they, they existed? You just stumbled across them? <laughs> so Slipped on a banana? Yeah, yeah, I did a comedy slip. And, no, they, they were, they've been kind of building up. I think there were some in the April Extinction Rebellion in London, and then this is a woman trying to start a Bristol leg, if you like, so to speak. So, um, yes, I've been going to some of their workshops. It's been really, it's been so much fun. I forgot how liberating clouding is. It's great. So, I think it's Amazing. a really good, it's a really good form of protest as well. It's a really good one. So, yeah, it should be quite fun. <laughs> Why is it so good? What's what what happens with clowns that protest? I think they just, without being mean. They totally highlight how ridiculous certain situations are. You know, like they, they bring out the just the utter ridiculousness of like certain structures or systems that we, we take for granted and that we just, you know, just assume, you know. And also, they're also really good because they're cathartic because they can make you laugh but they can also make you feel a bit sad and you know so yeah i think they're, they're i think they're, they're healthy to have around to like because especially something like a protest there's a lot of pent-up emotion in various different ways so clowns can kind of release that a little bit for the crowd i think you know or for anyone who's got a very different opinion i think it can be good to disperse it a little bit it can highlight things but also kind of disperse things a bit so so when yeah. people see the clown troupe are you hoping that they'll feel entertained or challenged or what's the i'm you know in an ideal world if we can nail it then they'll feel both <laughs> yeah they'll feel yeah yeah absolutely i would hope so but scared yeah, they're, they're, yeah, I think there can be an element of that. Or just, you know, as well just bringing to light, you know, like the clowns, like, off to their, you know, they're, they're, there's a, a possible idea about costuming and stuff that it may or may not happen for this time round, but, you know, about having flippers and goggles and everything and embracing their new sort of underwater world and stuff like this, you know, which is a very serious point, um, but can be made with, you know... Uh, made a bit, you know, made a bit lighter. I think comedy can really bring a. It can actually make you really focus in on things. And then we had the October uprising, and it had quite a different feel from the April one. It was there was much more police presence this time. It was quite intimidating. Um, and I was quite, I think I said by email I was quite anxious about it the night before just because there was a lot of like the police had raided one of the main warehouses, they'd taken a lot of the stuff and there was a sense among people that it was going to be harder this time, that they were, you know, they'd observed our tactics in April and had changed accordingly. Um, and when we got there on the Monday morning, they were doing a lot of stop and search, which they hadn't previously done. And they were pushing, I would say, on the bounds of what was legal. So if, you, if you're stopped and searched... You don't have to give any details of yourself. Um, they can't make you unless they take you to a station. Um, and they, I met up with a girl I know and her boyfriend had been stopped twice coming from the station to the protest by different people. The first one had tried to tell him that he had to give his personal details and he'd said no. So they'd searched him and found some ID in his wallet and taken his ID anyway. Um, and then the second one had said they were going to fingerprint him. <laughs> and he was like, no. And her mum's a lawyer, so she was like straight on the phone to her mum. But yeah, there was just that kind of mood of they're not going to let us do anything. And then we took the sites and 
everything just kind of calmed down and the police backed off a bit and they were stopping anybody coming in and out so we couldn't get any kind of shelter put up or kitchens or they wouldn't even let people in with leaflets which is also quite dodgy legally at that point like they wouldn't it's perfectly legal to stand on a pavement giving out leaflets and they were like no no leaflets allowed in um but yeah it kind of calmed down after that and I sort of felt like I got my groove back a little bit it's like no this is fine and you know if I get arrested I get arrested it's fine I'm calm rooted grounded again it'll be fine um and then the next time I went up, it was a, a really emotional day. I had some quite big conversations with people. There's quite a few new people who I've met through the walking group who are kind of just coming to terms with stuff or or are feeling in a really dark place about it. And this is the first chance they've had to talk to people about it because they don't feel like they can talk to their circles. So I had quite a few heavy conversations and then when I got home in the day, I was like, that's probably why I was there. Like, I didn't get arrested. I, didn't, I wasn't really needed to man the barricades. But somebody or several people needed to have that conversation. And I was in the right place to hold it and hear it. And that's enough. Um, yeah. And then there was the protest ban. And that really pissed me off. <laughs> I was like, that is not legal. And that is not the direction of travel that we want. So the morning after the ban had gone in, I was like, all right, I'm going in, do whatever I can, whatever needs doing today. And uh, and that was a weird day as well. It felt like even just having a sticker on, you were somehow a criminal. And it sort of shifted the mood. Like people were either really riled or they were so, sort of much more cautious, or a bit both. I think I was a bit of both, really. It was a bit like I'm not going to take any banners or any anything that could mark me out. And then, I, but I had a keep cup, I had tea in a keep cup, and I got to Lambeth Bridge, and there was a gathering of protesters on the other side of the bridge, and the police said, uh, "Where are you going?" <laughs> and I was pointed like, at your keep cup. Yeah, like pointing at the keep cup, like you're obviously one of these guys. And I was like, excuse me, what What do you mean? And he said, are you going to the protest? And I was like, suddenly in the moment, like, I don't know what to say to this guy. Like, I need to challenge this. Or, and I just said, no. Oh. <laughs> and he was like, okay then, on you go. And I was like, fuck, and I've lied to them. I don't know if I'm allowed to lie to them. <laughs> if I said, yes, I'm one of them, would he have stopped me? He probably would have been in his rights to stop me. And it sort of really made me realise, like, I have not the faintest idea. Like, I've got this tiny bit of knowledge about my rights and what to do if I'm arrested. And But in that situation, I was like, I don't have to tell him, but he's a human being asking me a question and I feel like I have to say something. There was one amazing woman. There was a great moment. We, we marched, we were outside the Treasury and we sat down outside the Treasury and somebody started a chant that was like whose treasury our treasury whose taxes our taxes and it kind of went on and on and on but we were so the treasury was in front of us and we were like this big crowd in standing in front of the treasury chanting and there was a line of police in front of the treasury facing us and it was getting quite loud and quite angry and this woman just sort of got the crowd's attention and said and started this like call and response of we're angry, we're like, you know, the mic check, mic check thing. She's like, we're angry, we're shouting, we want change, but it's harsh to be a policeman on the other side. They are humans, we're shouting at them. Can we sit down? Can we sing? And the mood just swung it was the most amazing like 30 second intervention and everybody sat down and then we sang something that was like we're all in this together we're all family something that was very kind of inclusive and soothing and I was like that woman to have the guts to go Do you know what this is not the right tone for what we're supposed to be about and I'm just gonna change it I was like you are amazing <laughs> and also the power of singing like just you know people who were angry but who were 
prepared to sing and then after a few minutes of we did that and then we did another one that's like the forests have spoken the system is broken there's what something about rising up that I had in my head for days and now I've completely forgotten um and then it was like okay we're all uplifted again let's let's wander on to the department of justice or wherever we're going next but yeah it was an amazing moment that's probably my favorite moment of this one the April one was like a surprising blossoming of something and this felt like quite a drudge like keeping on and keeping on and keeping on um I did see the Scotland group a couple of times there was a lot of kaleying happening but several people were like ooh and send me little clips of people kaleying in the dark outside Westminster Abbey um and they also had some of the better kind of international solidarity stuff and decolonize XR banners and things, which I, that was a lovely addition this time. There was XR liberation in St. James's Park as well. I think that's so important Mm. and it made me feel better about XR. And there's really different feelings about it. Um, And some of it is a little bit patriarchal, a kind of, well, you know, I've got that privilege, so I will use it and I will create a better world for everybody. Like, that's, that's not, <laughs> not what this is about. I spoke to a couple of the Extinction Rebellion Scotland folk about that. Uh, in the uh, summer uprising, we had uh, uh, chosen to uh, dedicate our action here in Glasgow uh, to a Sudanese uh, activist who was killed. And uh, so we... Um, we were helped in organizing the action uh, by a group of Sudanese people who uh, taught us about uh, our privileges. And uh, it was a, a, a very important experience. So- even, within, even within our movement, uh, if you get arrested, if you're white, you're more likely to have a different treatment than if you're black. And it's, it's a horrible thing, but it's true, and we need to address that as well. Because even in our right to, to protest, we're, we're privileged. And, or even, even the, the, the same fact that we can protest here in the UK, it's not, it's not like that everywhere else in the world. So, I mean, we, we need to pay attention to these differences and address them, especially if we want to create a, a, well, a really truly welcoming movement we have to address these inequalities and check our own privilege and make sure that the the environment that we're creating is welcoming for, for everyone so it's not just about climate change it's about these wider issues as well to have a true democracy we need everybody to feel engaged in politics we can't be sitting back relaxing and disconnecting ourselves from political action It's dangerous to imagine that someone else, someone in power, is making all the decisions and you don't share a little part of that responsibility. You've delegated, your hands are clean, Uh uh-uh. The point about democracy is that it is your responsibility to speak up for what you believe in, to be a part of the change that you want to see happen. Because really, what if you can make a difference? What if it's actually possible to change things? No, it's, it's an outmoded system completely. I mean, it's the, the, our economic system's outmoded and it's no good from an environmental perspective and our political system's broken and absolutely no good to us and from an environmental perspective. Because everything's short-termism. I mean, politicians can't see past four years because that's when they get re-elected. Accountants can't see past four months, uh, you know, four months, sorry, three months, because it's a quarter, you know, there's no, there's no long term, what are we actually leaving tomorrow's generation or the generation after that? It's just constantly now, what can we get now? I mean, if Extinction Rebellion is right, and I'm not saying they are, but if they are right, that we basically have 12 years to radically change the way we do things, within the capitalist framework, then destroying capitalism, rebuilding it, and doing all of that is going to... We can't do that in 12 years. I just don't believe that's... You know, solve yeah. the climate emergency first. 
So I think we actually do have, you know, a planet uh, you know, and societies which can then say, well, one of the problems that led to this was this, and therefore we need to change that. Have we got time to change the whole system before we target climate change? Or do we really need to target climate change and then take a reflective look on how we got into that situation in the first place and at that point thoughtfully change the system? Huh. Wow, that's a, that's a difficult question. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you enjoy. I, mean, I don't have an answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think no one has an answer, but I think the main thing is just trying our best and actually do something because, I mean, every little thing counts. So, I mean, whatever, whatever you can do, it's, it's going to be enough because it's mm-hmm. the best you can do. So, so yeah. yeah I mean. um, we went for an economic system that was based on growth because at that time resources were seen as being almost infinite I think everybody knew they were not infinite nobody could have really believed they were infinite but we just kept discovering more oil more gas more coal more forests more minerals you know all of these things fueled an economy of growth that had to come to an end at the point that we've got to now. But it didn't seem like they were. And a lot of people got very rich and a lot of... um, Also, a lot of amazing things came out of that in terms of what we have in the way of technology and health and all of that. You know, all of that wealth of resources made amazing things possible in terms of improving our quality of life and our standard of living. One of the things that concerns me in the current narrative is that the focus is all on governments and corporations telling the truth. And it tends to be forgetting that part of the truth is that we are the ones who buy from those corporations and in a democracy we are the ones who vote for those governments. Therefore, we also, yes, they must tell the truth, but we must also tell the truth ourselves about our complicity in it all. So it's not just that it's all down to them and their wicked ways. It's also what we're carrying in ourselves, and that's part of the wake-up call, part of the consciousness to understand what is happening as part of a process that is much bigger than us or about them. But that if we can face it with conscious awareness, if we can see this as part of the path of the evolution of conscious life on Earth, and the amazing challenge that here we are for the first time in evolution, an interconnected world, we're all able to interconnect with each other. Nobody's out of range. We are one world, you know. I'm not interested in globalization, but I am interested in one world. We are one world. And for the first time, we are waking up to that, albeit in a crisis by which that awareness has partly come about. To capitalize on the awareness and see what that might draw us into in terms of shaping new ways of being human beings on this planet. And I can't see any other alternative, because the only other alternative is we carry on business as usual and just go more and more down the ecological tubes. Or we ignore it, which is the same thing, because that means we carry on business as usual. Or we have some kind of green fascism which says, irrespective of what people will vote for, we will create strong governments that enforce these things. And the problem with green authoritarianism is that there are other interests in authoritarianism. There are other people who might be rather better at doing authoritarianism than we greenies might be. And their values are not green values. So we have to be very careful about proposing what should be imposed on people unless it has a democratic
consent. One of the the fundamentals that that um, I put in a, in our mindfulness course, which makes it different to most others, uh, is the four immeasurables. Which I've, I, I did I talk to the, about them last time? No, I don't think so. Um, when when the Buddha was first developing uh, his approach to mindfulness and meditation, he talked about the four immeasurables, and he said this is just as important. Uh, the four immeasurables are loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. Now, when mindfulness courses started to develop about 40 years ago, they didn't include that. And most courses still don't, or they sometimes include loving kindness, and increasingly there are courses that are based on compassion. Um, but to my mind, all four of them are important. And in fact, when, when I wrote my book about mindfulness, uh, one of the key things I was arguing there was that you should not teach mindfulness without teaching the four immeasurables, which um, is seen as quite a controversial argument. A lot of people disagree with that. But all the evidence I've seen reinforces that. So if you look at that, I mean, then what you're talking about is, um, is things that are making mindfulness more than uh, an internal individual activity. Because in all of these four, what is important is that you reflect on them and think about them for yourself, but also about other people. The phrase we use would be, uh, may I be free from suffering, harm, and disturbance. But then you, you, so you say that about yourself, but then you would say, may my friends, family, and loved ones be free from suffering, harm, and disturbance. May everyone in my community be free from suffering, harm, and disturbance. May all living beings be free. So what you're doing is you're, you're thinking of it, wishing it for yourself, but also for other people you could if you get a chance you can find uh, some of them on our website which you could download and have a listen to and ever since I started using them 10 years ago in my teaching I've always found that taken together they they work very effectively as the basis for um, linking mindfulness in oneself with mindfulness in the wider community and there's a whole series of phrases that we use in the meditations about being of service to other people, um, about taking joy in other people's activities and successes and such like, all of which are really about connection and community. Um, so all of this sort of flows naturally from that. And I think, it, I think making these connections between mindfulness and... Uh, the wider world and linking with the community and linking with other people is critical. If you don't do that, then it can become a very insular, inward-looking, self-centred activity. Thank you to all my climates. In this episode, we heard Linda, Catherine, Pab, Michael, Rachel, Greta, Jim, Ben, Tess, Michael, Pab, Nicola, Ian, Jess, Bianca, Alistair, John, Shan and I'm Hazel. And thank you for listening. This is an independent production, so I'm making it at home and I've got the support of my mum who looks after the kids and my husband who puts up with me going on and on about it, but that's all. So if you enjoyed the podcast and you can tell your friends or share a link to it on social media, and if you can even leave me a nice review, that would be amazing. Thank you. The next episode is about parenting, grandparenting, auntieing, uncleing, teaching, neighbouring, 
Adults Bringing Up Children and Children Bringing Up Adults. I hope you can join us. That was good. <laughs> <laughs>